Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, so we pushed John out of town on a vacation. He hasn't taken one in a while. So I got a text from John last night about 1030. He said to tell you hi, but that he was on a mountaintop. Literally, it was a picture of him and Marie on a mountaintop. So I'm not sure if we'll see John again uh, <laughs> unless he comes down from the mountain. But uh, certainly, we're blessed to have John and his leadership here. Um, I know each and every one of you that have spent time connecting with John, um, God's just continuing to use him and, and blesses him. So we're, we're blessed by that. So I read a story this week uh, about a boy and a father who were going on a fishing trip. And the night before the trip, little boy grabs his dad, hugs him around the neck, gives him a kiss and says, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. And dad says, well, tomorrow hasn't happened yet. And he said, yeah, I know, but it's, it's already happening right now. And so, you know, I was reading this story and I thought, what, what is it about children who, who come to this place where hope is actually a real thing? Hope is something that happens that has already begun. And yet we as adults, the more that we even read about or think about or even say hope, we struggle to believe that. How many times have you actually gotten up from, and I'm confessing this morning, from a prayer that you prayed specifically about something to happen. And immediately when you got up off your knees, you started thinking about, now how's that going to happen? How, how's that going to take place? I, look, I, I can see everybody nodding their head. What we're going to talk about this morning is how does hope fit into that? I'm going to look at three things this morning. Um, how does the world view hope? How does God view hope? And ultimately, how do you view hope? So we're going to we're going to spend some time unpacking that this morning. We're in a sermon series called This Is My Song, um, and this week we're, we're talking about hope. I'm going to spare you from, from actually singing anything. Uh, certainly that would clear the room uh, this morning, but I do want to talk about a song that, that you probably, if you've been around church for a long time, you, you'll know. Uh, My Hope is Built. It was written in the early 1800s by Edward Mote, who, who at the age of 18... Somebody gave him a Bible, uh, and he was converted and really lived a lot of his life and started writing songs later on. He wasn't, his, his upbringing actually wasn't, uh, wasn't stellar. He, his parents didn't know God. He even said of himself, um, ignorant as was I, that I didn't even know there was a God. Um, and a, <clears throat> one morning at the age of, of 34, he's walking to work, which by the way, he ran a pub uh, in London. It was his parents' pub. And so he's walking into work, and this song pops into his head. And the song that you would know is uh, My Hope is Built. And I'm actually going to read the original lyrics that he wrote because I think they're interesting. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Midst all the hell I feel within, on his completed work I lean. I trust his righteous character, his counsel, promise, and his power to his honor, his honor and his name's at stake to save me from this burning lake. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. I kept wondering as I read this, his original lyrics, which were changed later, and, and by the way, that entire song was was written mostly on his way to work and finished that day. 
I kept wondering if it wasn't the nights in the pub, right, where he sat looking at these lonely hearts throughout London, either drinking their sorrows away or hoping that something was going to come along. And I keep wondering if God just didn't use that moment in his life and in the life of others because we're blessed by that song today. I often think of that refrain, all other ground is sinking sand. And that, that, that rings out. Um, I want to look at how the, uh, how the world looks at hope because there's two kinds of hope we want to look at this morning. And one is certainly a hope that is longing, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But in March of this year, the Huffington Post, uh, they actually did a survey. They surveyed over 1,000 people, and they asked this question, if you could use one word to describe what it is that you hope for more in life, but you can't seem to get it, what would it be? And these were the five most frequently mentioned things. And, I, and, and the quotes are actually from the study. Happiness. I don't really know what to do with my life. Number two was money. I want enough money uh, or time to accomplish the things that I want to do. Number three was freedom. I want the freedom to find my true passion and purpose. And number four was peace. I lack clarity about who I am and what my purpose is in life. I hope for that. And number five was joy. I want to find the right job for me to bring joy in my work. There was another, there was a whole list of things. I won't go into them. What I found interesting about this is, the, is that the Bible actually talks about these very things. And what people are longing for, what they're hoping for in life. And if we're honest this morning, we all hope for those things. If you've studied the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That list actually matched up to the March 2016 list from the Huffington Post. It was just viewed differently. And so I want to look, look at that a little bit deeper this morning. But let's look deeper into what the, how the world looks at hope. And then another study in 2014 by the Media Dynamics Organization showed this, that the the average number of exposures that we receive each day from advertising, from communication, over 5,000. That, that's the average. You may say, well, that's not me. That's the average. Uh, the average number of ad exposures a day was 362. The average number of ads that were noted in a day by those people were, th were 153. The average number... Um, of ads that created some awareness of something was, was 86. And then the, the average number of ads that actually created an impression to move to action was 12. So, so you were flooded. Everywhere you look, everything you hear, there are these promises of hope. If you look closer at some of the leading brands in the world, and you look at brands like Starbucks, the brand promise is rewarding everyday moments. The brand promise for Apple is user-friendly connectedness. The brand promise for Nike, anybody wear Nike? You jump a little higher and you run a little faster and you are more athletic because you wear it, right? Because the brand promise is authentic athletic performance. Volvo, trusted driver safety. Coca-Cola, enjoying life's pauses. It's about the pause in life that we want you to engage. And for Disney, 
It's fun family dreams. And I remember taking my daughter to the Magic Kingdom for the first time, and she shook uncontrollably my hands because she was about to go into the dream. And we're, we're all suspect to these promises. But the brands that are, that are out there are designed to sell you hope through better moments, through better performance, through better pauses in life, through more satisfaction. And so, so it's not a wonder that when we sit down to think about hope and what we hope for, we're bombarded with information. So what, what word would you choose? I'm just curious this morning, if, if you were to sit down and write a word that described Christianity, if you were to write the promise of Christianity, what word would that be? If you were to sit down and write a word that described your walk with God, what would that be? Because the world, the answer to the what, what does the world see in hope is this. Let me see it first, let me touch it, and let me buy it, and then I'll tell you. And, and that's, that's the description of, of hope from the world. From, from the view of, <clears throat> of, God's, of God's hope, let's look at that for a minute. Um, I love this concept, and I have for a long, long time since I've heard it. <clears throat> the church sells hope. Heard that said over and over again. It's the only place in the world where true hope can actually be understood recognized, embraced, and lived out. I love that description of the church. I think that describes, describes it very well. When you look closer into the Scriptures, I want to pack a few, unpack a few things this morning about it. Hope is actually found 139 times in the Bible, like 68 in the Old Testament, 50-something in the New Testament. But when you look deeper at it, there, were, there are two kinds of hope that are described. And I want to talk about what that is. One was what the Old Testament used in the word hope. Remember in the Old Testament, people were looking for a Savior. God promised a Savior. The prophets prophesied about a Savior. And so when you read the writings of some of the prophets and some of the Old Testament characters, you, you read the word hope, what they're hoping for. And there's a word that was used in the Greek called hupomeo. Hupomeo means what will be to wait, to be patient, and to endure. That's, that's the word that's used largely in the New Testament. Jesus was prophesied about, and a different word was used. But that word, hupomeo, is that word that says, what I want, what I want to get out of this, that, that, that's a hoping, a longing, a patient endurance. I'll just kind of wait for that to come. That same word is found often in the Bible. There's another word that's introduced, and it was introduced largely in the New Testament. And it's the noun. There's a verb form of it, and there's a noun form of it. Ellipse and ellipso. So ellipso is the, is the noun form, and very often in the New Testament, actually always, that word is used for Jesus. And so think about it this way. Hope is the longing. It's the it's the long-suffering, it's the, it's the patient endurance that says, I just hope this will happen. How many times during the day do you say that? How many times during the week do you say, I hope, I hope this happens, I hope that happens to her or him because she deserves it or they deserve it? And you go on and there's a, there's a longing, we'll just kind of wait and see kind of hope. There's another hope, that, that ellipso hope that says, hope is among us. That's the definition of ellipso. 
So I can only imagine when that word was starting to be introduced along with the gospel, along with Jesus, that, that the translation of that was, hope has arrived. In walk the door of hope. And that's the kind of hope that I want to look at. So I haven't found another individual in the Bible more connected to this idea than Paul. So if you remember Paul's, Paul, Paul's journey, so, so Paul's role as a Pharisee was to tear down the Christian church, was, was to, tear, to tear down Christians. So walking along, the, you know the story, walking along the road to Damascus, Paul's walking along, is struck blind, falls to his knees, hears the voice of Jesus, nobody else around him heard it. Paul, why are, Saul was his name at the time. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And immediately Paul's response was, or Saul's response was, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm blind. I've been trying to serve you. What do you, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, go to Damascus and you'll learn your purpose. Go to Damascus and you'll learn your purpose. Paul goes to Damascus. He's converted. He begins his journey. And along the way of Paul's journey, by the way, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. That's significant because the Jewish name of Paul was to be desired. That was, that's what the name Saul means, to be desired. The name Paul that he chose, he, he wasn't given that name, it was the name he chose was to be little, was to be small, small Paul. I, by the way, I don't know if you've ever looked at the meaning of your name. Has anybody ever done that? I actually did it this week. My, my name, Neil, means uh, passionate clouds. <clears throat> Thanks, Mom. You know, what, where do you go from there? Like lowly puddle? Uh, you know, how, how, do you, how do you get lower? But Paul's, Paul's idea was, I want to get a little bit lower because I really don't seek to be desired. I'm going to seek to be little. And he didn't know what hit him. Because when he changed his name, now think about this, a Pharisee, the highest commission of a Jew, he changes his name. So that immediately sends a message. And now I'm, I'm Mr. Little. And so when, when Paul goes about his journey, he runs into the law in many, many ways. So I want to take a few minutes and just look at a few of these ideas that Paul ran into. Um, he was running for freedom. He was running for freedom. He was running with hope. In Acts 23, 6, it says, my brothers, he's speaking to, to the Pharisees here. I'm a Pharisee, de descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial today because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Five days later, he's sent to Caesarea. Now he's captured, by the way. He's sent to Caesarea before the governor, Felix. And he says this in Acts 24, 15, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there would be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And then the Bible says that sometime later, he was sent on to the king, King Agrippa. Acts 26, 6-7, Paul says, And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. And still on his way to get to the top before the Roman leadership next to the emperor, 
in Acts 28, 20, Paul's still captured. For this reason, I have asked to see you today, leaders, and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound in these chains. So, so notice what, what, was a, what was a search to get away from the law became the purpose that he was given in Damascus. I actually need you, Paul, Saul, to convert, and then I need you to take the message of Jesus to the most lost of the world, the Gentiles. And that's your journey. And guess what? The way you get to do that is you're going to be in chains for much of your life. You, you can only imagine, like, Paul's converted, going, oh, my life is saved. I, I get it. The Savior's here. Let me be bound in chains now and go on through the rest of life. How do you work through that? Paul embraced it. Paul said, I'm actually, I'm good with this. Like, this is my role. So I'm going to take these chains and I'm going to take the message of hope, which was consistent, not only in the book of Acts on his journey, but if you read the letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote to the churches, hope is the theme. And, and, and that is our foundation as a church. Hope is our foundation. That's the message. We could stop right now. We could go away and say, if we could get it straight between hupameo, what we hope or long for, and ellipso, hope is among us, how different would your life be? How different would your purpose be in life? Because there is no more hope coming other than when Jesus comes back. Which, which by the way, that's a done deal. That, that's already happened. It, it's already written. It's like the little boy with his father. I know. But, but that's already happened. So we have that assurance. How does God view hope? He is among us. And finally, how do you view hope? What place does hope have in your life? I love this, um, the way that Hebrews 6 does such a great job. The writer of Hebrews does a great job of describing this. I just wanted to read it. God wanted to prove, verse 17, God wanted to prove that His promise was true to those who would get what He promised, and He wanted them to understand clearly that His purposes never change. So He made an oath. These two things cannot change. Cannot change. God cannot lie when He makes a promise. And he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us who came to God for safety. They, they give us strength to hold on to the hope that we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and strong. How does God view hope? It is the anchor of our soul. It's what keeps everything together when nothing else makes sense, when the world is falling apart. For you, hope is the anchor for the soul, the ellipso in which you live. So how does, how does God view hope? I think there's three areas. Three degrees of hope, if you will. So I would ask you, how do you feel about, about these three things? Number one, hope in Christ. 
The Bible says there is, there is no other name, no other name upon which we are saved but that of Jesus Christ. Meaning this, if, if you've made Jesus the Lord, the Master, the Savior of your life, you've got it. That's the only hope. That, that's the hope that matters. So, so the hope in, the, in, in Christ when you're down, when you're depressed, when you don't know where to go next, and look, let's be honest, we are all there. That, that doesn't change, by the way. Nobody hands you an elder's card, right? Larry, Carrie, Andy. Nobody hands you an elder's card if you become an elder that says, you know now you're, you, you have anything to worry about. We struggle, right? Christ is our hope. If Christ is your hope, then the foundation is there. It's no different for no matter who you are. The second one is hope in the church. Like I said, I love the, I love the idea. I love the idea that the church sells hope. If we were all a part of God's marketing team, and I guess we kind of are, that, that's what we go out and sell. We're the sales team, right? Good luck. Uh, the church comes in many flavors. You can see different styles. It, come, it comes in many flavors. But the, the, the true church is the activation of Christ. It is the living and breathing hope. It is not a building or a bingo hall or a bar for a prayer room. Cool thing. The church isn't a place you go. It is who you are. When the Bible describes church and when Jesus described church, the bride of Christ is used several times. So think about that for a minute. The bride, beautiful, adorned, relational, lean on, lean into, best friends. Whatever term you use for bride or marriage, that, that's the metaphor the Bible sets up for the church. She is beautiful. She's beautiful. And she is active and she is living, and she's breathing, and she's sitting right next to you this morning. She's not this building that you attend to feel better about yourself. That's not anywhere near what the Bible describes as the church. The church is identified as one, like a bride and her groom. The church and God. So when, when, when you think about hope in the church, you're in her right now. And when you leave here, you're still in her. And she is there to encourage and lift up and surround and do life and cry and laugh. That's the church. There is great, great hope in the church. And there's great, finally, there's, there's hope in you. The concept that Jesus left behind when he says, I'm leaving you off for a little while, and then I'll be back. But I'm going to leave you the counselor. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And inside of you, I'm going to leave a little piece of myself, and that part of myself is going to be me and you. So quite literally, when you're in spiritual conversations with people, I tell my wife this often, I don't hear her voice. 
When we sit and spend time together, I don't hear Carrie's voice. I hear God's voice. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking into and through His words. He doesn't know it sometimes. She doesn't know it sometimes. But that's what happens. That, that's what the Bible describes as Christ in you. I'm going to leave myself behind so that you counsel each other. You don't need me here with you presently because I'm already here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm going to come back and collect my children. That is hope in you. God says, I have chosen you to carry the message to the Gentiles, to carry the message to the West Side. By the way, this morning is the last morning in our Bedford site. Down in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks, Bedford will start after today. Praise God. And I don't know where he's going to move after that, but, but hope in, it's, it's not about that church, it's about the people. It's about Christ in us. Um, I want to make a suggestion. Has anybody ever read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? Several of you have. It, it, it's a really a book. I read it many years ago, and it walks through this idea of actually creating your own mission. It actually takes you through a process. And out of it comes something written and encourages one word, like servant or uh, encourager, whatever that is. But, but it's good. So I, I would recommend that to find, to find Christ in you. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen a better way to describe this. Um, so let me let me explain a. It's it's get, getting to be Olympic time. Olympics are coming up, and there was a in the 1992 Olympics. There was a a British athlete, athlete Derek Redmond. Derek's journey. Some of you probably know Derek's story, but Derek, Derek missed the 1988 games in Seoul because he had a torn Achilles. In fact, he had eight torn Achilles before that event. And he kept coming back, and he kept coming back, and he kept coming back. The 1992 Barcelona games come up. Derek has worked his way through the ranks. He's older now. And he breaks the British record going into the Olympic trials. It is on pace to set a world record. He blows through the first heat of the, of the Barcelona um, 400 and, and blow him away fashion. He gets to the second heat, the, the semifinals before the finals. And something pretty extraordinary happens. I want you to watch it. Yeah. I, I don't know what you came in here with this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I know what I go through at times. But when you get to that point in the race when you just can't go, when, when you've just pulled a hamstring spiritually, when you've broken down and there's, there's nobody around, and your dad comes running out of the crowd and says, we're going to do this together, you know you're loved. Derek's dad apparently fought a few security guards, <laughs> pushed his way through to get to his son. I can't think of a better message this morning of hope than, to, than a dad who's going to say, we're going to go to the finish line together. And no matter, again, what you brought in this morning, you leave it at God and he says, we're going to get to the finish line. 
And that's the picture of hope. It's the message of Christ. It's the picture of our loving Father who says it's all bound up in hope. I pray that as we get ready to take communion this morning, that, that you just take a moment, take the communion, stop, give thanks for hope, and think about how hope's going to power you through to the, to the end. If you need to pray, we're going to be down here. We've got pillows here. We've got a prayer room over in the bar. And we're going to be here for a while. So if that's what you came to do today, and maybe it isn't, um, the next few minutes, let's, let's make it about our hope. Let me pray with you. Father, you're just amazing. To call you our counselor, our Lord, our friend, our God, our dad. We are so thankful that when life gets difficult and we sit around and try to hope, you're there in the background fighting through the crowds to take us to the end. Father, we're grateful for that. Pray this morning that for all of us, that we leave here resolved to be different, that we really leave here resolved to just trust in the promises that you've laid out there for us. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.